preaching through Lent about the last words that Jesus spoke from the cross. There are seven times where Jesus spoke up that are recorded among the four Gospels. Um, These are often talked about on Good Friday as part of a Good Friday service, but we're taking a little more time to zero in on them and speaking about one every sermon through Easter. And so today we take a look at what I find to be one of the most interesting ones. And this, this passage is really the one that made me want to preach this series. And it's the conversation that Jesus has with the criminals on either side of him. It's found in Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read the larger passage and start in verse 32 and go to verse 43. Two others who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. The people stood by watching But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God. Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we have received the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here ends the reading of God's word. We tend to see the cross as a single symbol. We have one large cross up at the front of our sanctuary. We hang crosses on our wall, but they're normally solitary, just one. Yet all four Gospels tell us that there were three crosses that day. Jesus was crucified with these two other criminals. Luke here records an interaction between Jesus and these criminals. But but all the Gospels tell us that Jesus is not crucified alone. There's not one cross. There are three crosses. We must remember that crucifixion is not a punishment for any old crime. People could be thrown in jail. They could be fined. You could be beheaded. There were lots of other punishments. Crucifixion is reserved for the worst criminals, either criminals that are violent or especially criminals that rebel against the Romans. It's a symbol, a deterrent for others who would be violent or who would go against the Roman Empire. And so these men beside Jesus are not common criminals. They're they're not just thieves, as they're often referred. To be crucified, they must have been at least bandits willing to kill in their thieving. Men of violence. 
perhaps also zealots, perhaps also people who were rebelling against the Roman Empire. We don't know their names, we don't know their stories, we don't know their particular crimes. We don't know if they knew each other. Were they partners in crime or part of the same gang? Or are they just two separate criminals that end up crucified on this day? But we know they're not good guys. The one from the cross even acknowledges that they deserve to be there. Okay, By their own admission, by the admission of the one, they deserve to be on this cross. This is actually kind of fitting for Jesus, who spent most of his life with low lives, most of his ministry in what we would consider to be a bad element, the kind of people you question if you had to be around them, you wouldn't want to give them a ride anywhere. That's the kind of people Jesus hung out with. But, but even now, as he dies, they're especially the worst of the worst. Yet these two nameless criminals get a front row seat to witness the saving work of Jesus, the saving work of God on that cross in Jesus Christ. In fact, the cross is probably all that they get to see. Maybe they've heard rumors of Jesus. They may know, I mean, people would have heard of this man Jesus. His reputation had been growing. But it's unlikely that these men ever heard the Sermon on the Mount, ever witnessed a miracle. This is probably the first time they're seeing this man Jesus. All they have to judge this man on are these several hours of torture that they witness him take on. And yet, looking at this man on the cross, they have two very different reactions. There are three criminals on the cross that day. One who is guilty. This man taunts Jesus with the crowd. If you're the Savior, save yourself and save us too. He doesn't see any power or any value in this man being crucified. He simply joins in the mocking. Imagine the psychology. This person is the ultimate, the ultimate bully, right? Making himself feel better as he's being crucified for his crime by joining the crowd and teasing another person who is also on the cross. He will mock, but he will not believe. He will join the crowd, but he will not see this man as anything other than someone to be taunted. There are three criminals on the crosses those, on that day. One who is guilty and another who is guilty, but something happens to him. He is in the same pain. He is witnessing the same actions of Jesus, but he sees in Jesus something different. Maybe it's the way Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Maybe it's the way Jesus does not yell or cuss back at the crowd. He sees something different in Jesus in this moment. And therefore, he rebukes this other criminal, saying, let me me say his words again so that you hear them. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. A criminal can recognize a criminal. And this criminal recognizes this other criminal that's taunting Jesus. But he also looks at Jesus and says, this man, this man's not a criminal. This man is not like us. We've lived our lives not fearing God, not caring what God thought. But but this man is not like us. 
He sees Jesus not as a criminal. He has done nothing wrong. And so he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. These words are amazing for a few reasons. The criminal is recognizing his own need for Jesus. He knows he is not innocent, and he's able to acknowledge that. But he's also able to recognize that this other one hanging on a cross, same death that he's receiving, has something that he needs. More amazingly, the criminal uses the language of kingdom for Jesus. Remember me in your kingdom. Listen, this is crazy talk. Okay, This man is being crucified. Dead people don't have kingdoms. People who are receiving a death penalty do not have kingdoms. This is, a, this is an apparent, Jesus is apparently powerless, has no kingdom, no power. And yet, this man looks at him and says, remember me in your kingdom. He recognized something about this man's lordship, despite what everybody else in the crowd seems to be seeing. He sees that this man is Lord. But even if there is a kingdom, even if there is a paradise beyond this world, this innocent man on the cross beside him has no claim to get there. Think about this. This man is being killed for being a terrible, terrible person and doing terrible, terrible things. He is now nailed to a cross and he is going to, in the next few hours, die. He has no possibility of making amends. There's no way for him to go and pay back debts. No way for him to say he's sorry. How could he possibly even get into this kingdom if there is one? This is an important question for us because as Christians, it's important we think about this. How are we saved? How do we get into this kingdom? We have made salvation of praying a little prayer or raising our hand at an altar call. But you notice, this man doesn't get to do that. We've made it a series of beliefs that you have to fall under. But this man has no theological training on the cross. He, has no, he prays no prayer other than this, this simple, desperate prayer. He has no chance to be baptized. He never gets to be an elder in a Presbyterian church. There's a whole bunch of churchy religious stuff this man is never going to get to do and he's never going to get to understand because he is not coming down off of that cross alive. And yet, though he does no good works, though he understands no theology, Jesus hears his prayer. All he does is dare to pray that Jesus will remember him. Remember me. He doesn't even have the boldness to pray take me with you he knows he doesn't deserve to get there but he says remember me remember me he has no good case of entry but he flings his hope on this one who according to the crowd should be mocked according to all the evidence should be should be distrusted and yet this man recognizes and throws his hope on him remember me There are three criminals on crosses that day. One who is guilty. One who is guilty and who becomes innocent. And one who truly is innocent. Jesus is innocent. He's done nothing wrong. He willingly goes to that cross though he does not deserve it. He dies for these people. Even these ones crucifying him. Even these ones 
on his right and on his left as he suffers. And he hears this little prayer. This little uninformed, desperate prayer of a person that lived a life so bad he ends up justifiably dying on a cross. And Jesus on the cross, dying of suffocation, labors to breathe at this man, to speak to this man, and he says, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He assures him, Truly I say to you, I'm not joking. I'm not messing around. I'm telling you the truth right now. You can believe it. You'll be with me. How can this guilty man get the reward of an innocent man? He can only do it because this innocent man is dying the death of a guilty man. And because an innocent man is dying the death of a guilty man, he is able to give his innocence to this other guilty man. There are three criminals on crosses that day. One who is guilty, another who is innocent, or who's guilty but becomes innocent, and one who is innocent. The question today is not if you are among these criminals. You are. The question is which criminal are you more like? Are you the one who will not recognize the saving work of Jesus? In your life, the one who hangs on to anger or goes with the crowd or makes yourself feel better by taunting others? Or are you this one who was guilty and became innocent? The path of this one is not to do better or be better, it's to recognize your need of Jesus. Can you just ask Jesus to remember you? Showing a total reliance on Jesus for your salvation. Can you believe his assurance? Truly. I know you doubt it. But you'll be with me in paradise. The kingdom is yours. A lot of times in our lives, we taunt like the first criminal. We scoff at the idea of Jesus. Or even if we don't actively scoff at Jesus, we basically live our lives as if Jesus doesn't matter. Lord, I gave you an hour on Sunday. What more do you want? We keep Jesus sort of, sort of trapped there, right? And the rest of my life is mine to live as I want to live. There's another way that we lose the kingdom. We try to have faith, but we miss the mark of the prayer of this second criminal when we try to earn our salvation. When by works we try to be better, we try to earn it as if, of course Jesus has to let me in. At least if he's grading on a curve, I'm better than most other people, right? But both ways keep you from the kingdom. Both ways keep you from paradise. Because the only way in is God's grace. There's two ways to stay out of the kingdom of God. One is with your badness, and one is with your goodness. One is avoiding God and doing evil and doing your own thing. But the other is to be so good That you can't let God give you grace. And in the church we often try to avoid the first way. And we often fall into the second way of missing the kingdom. The only way to do it. The only way to get into this kingdom is to pray a prayer like that man on the cross. A desperate prayer of Lord remember me. I've got nothing. I've done some good stuff, but I know I've done some bad stuff too. And even the good stuff I've done, I did for the wrong reasons. I have no reason 
to give an argument why I should get into this kingdom. The only thing I got is, Lord, remember me. Remember me. Be my hope. Be my wholeness. There are three thieves on the cross that day. Three thieves. One who's guilty, one who's innocent, and one who's guilty but becomes innocent. And the truly innocent one becomes the greatest thief of them all. He steals the soul of that guilty criminal. He steals the man's guilt from him and gives him his innocence. Today, may you understand that you are those criminals. And may you throw yourself on the mercy of the stealer of souls. Let's pray. Father God, help us to recognize our need of you. Help us to remember this desperate little prayer prayed by this desperate criminal on a cross. Lord, that recognizes his need, recognizes your lordship, and puts his hope in you. May that be the prayer of our hearts this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.